seven, Stan Phillips. Well, Met fans, it was more of the same on Saturday. Wash, rinse, repeat. More like rinse. Because we got soaked by more rain in New York, Philadelphia area yesterday. The Yankees were postponed. The Mets were postponed. And a lot of baseball, if you're a New York baseball fan today. Doubleheaders for both the Mets and Yankees. But we're here to talk about the New York Metropolitans. They will be playing deuce today. As I mentioned, they'll be playing two. Two for the price of one. And it will be made up as a single admission doubleheader on Sunday with game one starting at 12.35 p.m. Now, Friday's game was also rained out, and that one will be made up as a doubleheader on August 20th, a day-night doubleheader. Don't you just love those? Which is the next time the Mets travel to Philadelphia after this series. Now, Max Scherzer had been scheduled to pits on Saturday against Kyle Gibson, Prior to Saturday's rainout, Chris Bassett was scheduled to face Zach Eflin on Sunday. Neither team has announced updated pitching plans yet, so we'll see what transpires later in the day, but good possibility we'll see both Max and Bassett. Now, even though it was an off day because of the postponement, the Mets made a transaction. The Mets announced on Saturday that they have claimed outfielder Kosuke Kato off waivers from the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, he won't be joining the big club. He will be optioned to AAA Syracuse. He's 27, and he's made, he made his major league debut on April 9th with Toronto. So, with no games the last couple of days, we could discuss some Met topics that have been at the tip of my tongue. I just haven't had time in these podcasts to mention them. Uh, the first one is Mad Max. Mad Max Scherzer. I always loved watching Max when he was the opponent, or if there was a game on, and wasn't even involved in the Mets and Max was pitching. I'd like to watch Max. Now I didn't pitch him on a cons- watch him pitch on a consistent basis every rotation turn, and I'm getting that opportunity now. And boy, oh boy, is he the pitcher that was advertised? On the mound, he is so locked in that what goes on around him sometimes is just knocked out of focus. I mean. He's always uh, looking for a fight against the other team. And a fight, I mean a good way. He's looking to do battle. And whether he's chirping profanely and gesturing at the Cardinal players from the dugout in St. Louis last week, even when he wasn't pitching or getting tossed from a game at City Field uh, this week for telling the umpire how badly he missed a third strike call on Dominic Smith, you got to love his intensity. He really ramps it up and in a good way. And as such, it already feels like Scherzer was born to pitch in New York. He's one of those players that was made for Broadway. And let's put it this way. Met fans couldn't have a bigger crush on him right now if he were related to Tom Seaver. Uh, I think the Met fans have fallen in love with Mad Max. So who is this guy anyway? Uh, Well, we're going to try and take a deeper look at Max, if you will. And it just seems that he is a lot more than just a three-time Cy Young Award winner that the image of a man possessed. On the baseball side, 
He wasn't always the sure thing you might have guessed. He barely pitched his freshman year at the University of Minnesota because his coaches thought he was so unpolished and he had to make dramatic improvements just to be college ready. On the more human side, what may be most fascinating is that people who know him and were unanimous in saying Scherzer eventually would become an all-time great, at least as much because of his intelligence as his strong arm or even that famous intensity. You look at him pitching just the way he talks baseball, you could see that his brain is his most powerful weapon. Probably not his arm. Uh, and he's just not one of these book smart guys. You could tell when the situation is happening, he's in tune. He's very savvy. And plus, if you ask me, his brain power added to his savviness makes him the ultimate baseball player. And when his intensity is at a peak level, I think the rest of the team just rises behind him. And like high tide, the whole team gets lifted. Uh, he is the type of guy that sometimes looks like he can punch somebody out when he gets ramped up. Uh, but I think that is a good thing. <laughs> but I have really enjoyed Max. Really, really have. And it... Just you could just see that even when he's not pitching, he's so intent on what's going on in the ball game. Now he was drafted in the forty-third round by his hometown St. Louis Cardinals, and a lot of people thought he was a raw talent, and maybe if given the chance, he could do something. Uh, just reading about him in the past, it looks like he was always trying to throw the ball through a brick wall in every pitch. That's what his college coach said, and his hat would come off on every pitch. He was kind of out of control, but you could see the untapped potential. He did have the arm strength. And yes, Scherzer could always make eyes pop when he threw a fastball. Now, from a really young age, uh, Max had an electric arm that was different from anybody else. In terms of arm talent, he was just one of those buzz guys. As a matter of fact, his arm is so strong that Scherzer started at quarterback for the varsity team as a freshman at Parkway Central High School in Chesterfield, Missouri. And he pitched for the varsity baseball team as a freshman as well. So he was pretty well developed as a freshman pitching in the varsity team. Uh, he did have a live arm. And when he was a freshman, before the season started, some of the seniors were getting on him one day at practice saying, if your arm is really that good, let's see you throw the ball over the left field fence. And they were in the first out, first base dugout, so Max says, okay, and takes one step out of the dugout. And he threw the ball over the left field fence like it was nothing. And he threw it with barely any arc on it. It was just a laser. The seniors were like, wow, oh my God. Now Scherzer shrugged about this when brought up when it was mentioned to him about what he did in high school. He did say it's true. I always long tossed from a distance, so I knew I could do it. There was a hill out past the fence, and I threw it up on the hill. I don't know how far, pretty far. Uh, they did estimate that he could throw a pass 60 or 70 yards in football. And after starting his quarterback as a freshman and sophomore, he did give up football to focus more on pitching. But also, Scherzer said quarterbacks had tunnel vision. He had tunnel vision as a quarterback, and that's good for baseball, but not for football. He had a good arm, but didn't play the position well. He was too focused on just being the quarterback, just like he's too focused on just being the pitcher. Nevertheless, though, Scherzer was, by all accounts, a great all-around high school athlete. 
And uh, they still marvel what a good hitter he was, an instinctive center fielder on days when he didn't pitch. And then there was basketball. Scherzer loved it as much as baseball because it was a sport so well-suited for his ultra-competitive spirit. And uh, supposedly, uh, Max Scherzer was a disciple of Bobby Knight, and uh, he loved the fact that Knight demanded an all-out effort, especially on defense and rebound. And he brought as much as a base a basketball player as anyone ever has, his high school coach said. He was always on the floor going for loose balls, and he'd take a charge against his, anybody. He'd do whatever it took to win. He'd run through a brick wall. Now, Scherzer recalled that he loved playing for Kirby because the coach brought out my intensity. And as a starter, his last two years at the Parkway Central team, they went 50-10, finishing third in the Missouri State Tournament, his senior citizen. Senior citizen. <laughs> I'm talking like a senior citizen. I should have said his senior season. Oh, boy, I'm tongue-tied. Too early in the morning. Where's my coffee? Anyway... Uh, Austin Kirby was the team's best player and all-state point guard, yet he recalls how Scherzer in many ways set the tone with his fire and competitiveness, as well as his willingness to take harsh criticism from his coach without complaint. Now, Max was the guy going to Missouri as a D Division I b baseball recruit, which was a big thing, but his dad would tell him like he was the 13th guy on the team and yell at him like he was the 13th guy on the team. Half the time, my dad would get everybody's attention by yelling at me, but Max would get the brunt of it as well because we were friends, and my dad knew he could yell at him, and Max would take it. It didn't bother Max. He'd do anything to win. And uh, when recently Scherzer was asked about his biting days in basketball, his face lit up. He said, we had a really good team. If I had to describe my game, I was a poor man's Draymond Green, an undersized four man. I could rebound a little bit, play defense, take an outside shot if it was there. So basically, Scherzer's saying he was a glue guy. Yet baseball was always the priority for Max. In retrospect, that disappointing freshman year in Missouri proved to be a turning point in his career. He said that Scherzer's work ethic made all the difference, recalling a relatively simple balance drill the coaches showed him to harness his delivery and allow him to pitch with more command. He was always jumping out on his front foot trying to throw so hard. And they showed him one balance drill, and he did that drill relentlessly. He kept working and working. The massive leap he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year was, in fact, incredible. He went from having potential of being dominant in about eight or nine months. A lot of it was command, but he was actually starting to throw harder, too, because he wasn't trying to throw so hard. Everything became a little bit more efficient. And that's who Max is, with the combination of brain power plus work ethic plus athleticism. He always worked at something until he figures it out. He did it at the college level and then at the pro level. And he went from being just another guy to being one of the all-time best. His evolution has been pretty good to watch for those who have followed Max from day one. Now, for the most part, Scherzer agreed to work uh, after his freshman year on everything he needed to do to succeed. He was more balanced, and he channeled his intensity, and he was more than just being a wild horse throwing anywhere and everywhere. And he credits his college coach for being even, I guess, bringing out the more competitive side to him. If That's hard to believe that Max wasn't as competitive as he had liked. Uh, and 
The intensity rubbed off on him and all the pitchers on the Missouri staff as he was challenged to be better and to be more aggressive. Uh, Max has said Missouri was really ground zero for me in becoming a big league pitcher, growing into more than just a thrower. Now, there were still ups and downs on the path toward a major league uh, career. The Diamondbacks scouting director, Mike Rizzo, selected Scherzer with the 11th pick in the 2006 MLB draft. But after Rizzo left to become the Washington Nationals GM, the D-backs traded Scherzer to Detroit Tigers following his second year in the big leagues, mostly out of fear that his maximum effort delivery would lead to arm injuries. And then even after Scherzer won a Cy Young Award in Detroit, the Tigers wouldn't offer him enough to keep him from getting to free agency and reuniting with Rizzo in Washington to the tune of seven years and $210 million. Along the way, Scherzer just kept getting better. The work ethic and intensity were a big part of it, to be sure. Case in point, uh, when his old coach Rick Kirby went to L.A. for a game that Scherzer was pitching uh, during his second-half stint with the Dodgers last season, they got together for dinner afterwards, and the coach asked his former player, by now age 37, what his day after workout would look like. Max said, I'll run about seven miles tomorrow. I run to get all the lactic acid out. I'm thinking this guy's working. He's still second to none. And even his uh, other coach in high school said, you can see the intensity and people don't understand. In school, he was always very numbers and analytic driven. And in addressing that point, Scherzer has even said, I'm glad I took all the economic classes, all the stat classes in Missouri. For a while, I thought my path might be something in commercial real estate. But they're very good life skills and just a way to think and handling numbers, which is part of the analytics game now. So how does Scherzer himself prioritize the factors that led him to the mountaintop as the highest played player in baseball? Well, he doesn't downplay his intensity, to be sure. He has said it's always been in his DNA, his personality. He tries to be well-rounded in the mound. I'm just not going out there to be a linebacker running through a brick wall. Pitching allows you to take on a lot of information or a lot of decisions you have to make. But you're setting up the pitches, the adjustments you have to make, navigating the lineup multiple times. Thinking through those situations a lot of times better than trying to blow through them. So yeah, you're going to have you use your brain to pitch. But guess what? It also works well when you go out there with a little intensity, with a little fire underneath you, and want to attack. Consider that Scherzer's summation on the subject. Indeed, I guess we can basically consider that sum up Max Scherzer. And... uh it goes nicely with his new gig as a Met. In short, the intensity will always be the fun part for him. And in New York, when you're intense, you're good, and you're a leader, you're going to be loved by the Met fans. And don't we just love Max, folks? Don't we? Looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one. Deep left field. That goes up to it. Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. There are moments that you can anticipate, and then there are moments that completely come out of nowhere. From the day that Bart became a Met, he was not only a beloved figure because of his size and because of his calm and because of his precision and his ability to beat Father Time, but also because of the, let's just say, entertainment value of his at-bats. So when he 
he hit the home run, it was something that I had never even thought was possible. And that's why I reacted the way I did. This is one of the great moments in the history of baseball. Bartolo Colon has gone deep. That was fantastic. Yes, indeed. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. There's Gary Cohen with the call and a little brief summary of what that call meant to him. And uh, that remains part of Met lore and Met history. Now, those eight words capped off Gary Cohen's epic call of Bartolo's home run on May 7, 2016. And that will live in Met history forever. In his 21 big league seasons, Cologne's batting stats, well, they left a lot to be desired. A Cy Young winner with 247 career wins, Cologne could dazzle on the mound, but his at-bats were another story. A career 8.084 hitter, Cologne's trips to the plate often ended with him being lifted, not even lifting the bat off his shoulder, or his helmet flying off as he took a Herculean but futile hack. But on the fateful day in San Diego 2016, Cologne connected on a James Shields fastball, and as the crack of the bat echoed throughout Petco Park, it was clear, yes, it was clear, that that ball was going, going, gone. Uh, and it was, as Gary Cohen likes to say, history in the making. Uh, there, and Cohen has said, there are moments you can anticipate, and there are moments that completely come out of nowhere. Cohen said about that day. And he said, Gary Cohen, from the day Bart became a Met, he was not only a beloved figure because of his size, because of his calm, because of his precision, his ability to be father time, but because of, let's just say, entertainment value was bats. So Bartolo was a fun Met to watch, and his epic blast was a feat that most baseball fans could never have forgotten and probably still haven't forgotten. But he always hoped he'd have a chance to one day show off his power to dish. Cologne has said, I still have the bat. It's a beautiful memory for me. Ever since my debut with Cleveland, I always dreamt of playing into league baseball. When I was with the White Sox one time, I thought it was going to happen. Uh, when I faced Carlos Dan Brown and the Cubs, I really thought I was going to hit it out that day but because the ball was flying out of the park. Then after 2014, I thought my dream of ever hitting a home run would never happen again. I was getting old, but apparently I had some power that day. I knew Shields was going to throw me a fastball. I let the first two pitches go by. I told myself I wasn't going to swing, but that if he threw me another fastball, I would put a swing on it, and I did. Cologne won 44 games for the Mets in the, as a Met with a 3.90 ERA and a 1.225 whip, helping the Mets advance to the World Series in 2015. But despite everything else that the right-hander accomplished on the mound, he'll always be remembered for hitting his first and only Major League home run in a Mets uniform. That Mets team was really special, Cologne has said. I've played with 10 teams, but with the Mets, the way all those players treated me, how that entire franchise treated me, from the front office to the kitchen staff, it was amazing. And Mets fans are the best. In the beginning, they when they laughed at me every time my helmet flew off, I first I felt uncomfortable, but when I saw how much the fans enjoyed it, I asked for a bigger batting helmet so that it would fall off more because it was so much fun. 
And let's just say, Bartolo, we loved your time as a Met. We really did, and we will never forget that home run. And you know what else us Met fans who are listening to this podcast should not forget? That we do one of these podcasts every day. So if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, and we're available on all platforms, please do subscribe. It would be greatly appreciated, and that way you're updated every day when one comes up. And uh, bingo, it's there for your listening pleasure. If you're not a member of the baseball group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life on Facebook, you really do need to join. We have great stuff there every, every day. If you ever need to reach out to me personally, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. So fire away those questions, comments, positive or negative, and I'll respond back to you like I always do. And like I said, in the Facebook group, we have a lot of great stuff every day. And as you guys know, one of the things we do every day is New York Mets trivia and baseball. So let's get today's trivia and baseball, shall we? Yes, we shall. And why not? It's Sunday. It's Sunday fun day and Mother's Day. So to all the mothers out there listening, happy Mother's Day. Uh, You guys are the best. You rock everybody's world. Now, yesterday's Met trivia question was, who took over for Casey Stengel in 1965 when he broke his hip and could no longer manage? And today's Mets baseball jeopardy. Two clues, as always. Traded by the Mets to the Houston Astros with Roger Cedeno and Kyle Kessel in exchange for Derek Bell and Mike Hampton on December 23, 1999. Second clue, the winning pitcher in the 1999 NLCS Game 5 against the Atlanta Braves. Log in your answers. And, as always, we'll see how you did at the end of the podcast when we reveal them. But first, as we always do, we want to talk about Met birthdays on this day. So get out that birthday cake and let's celebrate. Celebrate good times. Let's celebrate Met birthdays. Now, whose birthday is it today? John Maine. Who remembers John Maine? Born this date in 1981, he turned out to be a pleasant surprise for the Mets. Adrian Gonzalez, one of the best pure hitters of his time when he was playing, Born this date in 1982. And Sean Gilmartin, born this date in 1990. Now, as always, there were met some, some Met transactions on this day. Uh, the Mets traded Larry Foss to the Milwaukee Braves for Chico Fernandez in 1963. And in 1964, the Mets traded Jay Hook and Adrian Garrett to the Milwaukee Braves for Roy McMillan. Now, on this date in 1984, the Mets released Dick Tidrow. And on this date, one of the more popular Mets, one of the uh, Mets will always remember, Matt Harvey was traded to the Cincinnati Reds, hard to believe it's four years already, for Devin Masaraco. Yep, that was a day we won't forget. Uh, now, let's talk about what's going on in the group. As always, we always have a ton of stuff going on. Uh, We have a picture of Raleigh Fingers and Tug McGraw. Tug blowing the most humongous bubble. Uh, And that's Tug, free spirit and all, isn't it? Uh, Then we have a picture, an autographed picture of Ron Swoboda, where he labels it the catch, 69 World Series champ. We profile Bruce Berenice's Met career. 
Then we show, unfortunately, a picture of dejected Mike Piazza walking off the field as the Yankees won the World Series in 2000. And on this date, 1961, let us celebrate the fact that the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club Incorporated announces the New York National League franchise's team nickname will be the Mets. Yes, other names considered included the Avengers, Burroughs, a play on the word Burroughs, uh, you know, the five boroughs in New York, Continentals, and believe it or not, the Islanders, Jets. Uh, so hockey fans and football fans, we could have stole that name before you. Uh, the Rebels, Skyliners, and owner Joan Payson's first choice, the Meadowarks. So there you go. Those are the names we could have had, but for some reason, I love the Mets. And then on this date, 1973, and I remember watching this as a kid. On a rainy night at Chase Stadium, the seventh inning line drive off the bat of Atlanta's Marty Perez strikes John Matlack's forehead so hard that the ball ricochets into the Mets' dugout. Fortunately, the 23-year-old Southpaw sustains only a hairline fracture of the skull, and he will return to the mound on May 19th, and we are so happy that it wasn't anything worse than that. Then we got a quote from Amos Otis who said, I wanted to play the outfield, and Gil Hodges wanted to keep me at third base. He was stubborn, and I was too. He didn't get his way. They kept me on the bench until they got mad enough and sent me to the minor leagues for a month. Now let's talk about one of our favorite Mets, John Maine. Yeah, besides playing for the Mets, he played for the Orioles and the Marlins, and he batted and threw right-handed. Now, he was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and after graduating from North Stafford High School in Stafford, Virginia, he played college baseball for UNC Charlotte, where he was named the Conference USA Pitcher of the Year in 2001 and set several single-season 49ers records, including strikeouts and wins. In 2000, while still in college, Maine pitched for the Bethesda Big Train, a summer collegiate baseball team located a few miles outside of Washington, D.C. Now, Maine decided to forego his senior season, senior season at Charlotte. I'm having a tough time with that. I keep saying senior citizen instead of season this year at Charlotte and was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in the sixth round of the 2002 Major League Draft. In 2003, he emerged as one of the top prospects in the minor leagues when he led all minor league pitchers in strikeouts with 185. Now, he made his debut with the Orioles on July 23, 2004, after spending the later half of 2004 and most of 2005 shuffling between Baltimore and AAA Ottawa. Maine recorded his first major league win on August 13, 2005 at Camden Yards with a one nothing shutout over the Toronto Blue Jays, in which he started and pitched five innings. Now, had Maine become a Met, he was traded to the Mets on January 21, 2006, along with right-hander reliever Orge Julio in exchange for starting pitcher Chris Benson. Now, Maine was called up from AAA Norfolk in early May 2006 after rookie Brian Bannister was put on the disabled list with a hamstring injury. Maine started on May 2nd against the Washington Nationals and took the loss after giving up four runs on six hits and two walks in 5.1 innings. He was placed on the injured list on May 6th with inflammation of his right middle finger, which he says hurt his May 2nd start, which he says he hurt on his May 2nd start. 
He was reactivated on June 12th and was optioned back to AAA Norfolk. On July 3rd, he was recalled from the minors and became part of the Mets rotation. After a solid, if mediocre start off the DL, Maine had a start that could be said, some could say, turn his career around. With Orlando Hernandez originally started, slated to start against the Astros, early rain caused the Mets to put in Maine instead. So here's a classic example where they don't put the better pitcher in because of rain to protect him, and Maine took advantage of the whole situation. He pitched a complete game shutout. That start continued a scoreless inning streak. Maine pitched a scoreless inning in relief and then 22 scoreless innings over three starts, recording two wins and a no decision over that span. After his second scoreless inning, Mets manager, second outing I should say, Mets manager Willie Randolph designated Maine as the rotation's fifth starter over higher-ranked prospect Mike Pelfrey. Now, if you remember back then, Pelfrey was highly regarded, so that was a big move by Willie Randolph, and I give him credit. Now, Maine's scoreless inning streak reached 26 innings before he allowed a run. Against Washington on August 12th, Maine retired 11 of the first 12 batters he faced before Nick Johnson hit a solo home run. The streak fell five and two-third innings short of Jerry Kuzman's Met franchise record. His streak was the longest ever by a Met rookie starter, exceeding Dwight Gooden's and Anthony Young's 23-inning streaks by two. His 25 scoreless innings by a starter was the longest streak since Al Leiter threw 25 and one-third scoreless innings in 1998. On September 29, 2006, in his final at-bat of the season, Maine recorded his first major league hit, ending a streak of 28 hitless at-bats. Now, overall, Maine went 6-5 with a 3.60 ERA in 15 starts in his debut season for the Mets, showing flashes of dominance such as a scoreless inning streak. His efforts helped the Mets win the NL East division. Despite his solid season, he was originally not expected to make a start in the postseason. However, after injuries sidelined both Pedro Martinez and Orlando Hernandez, Maine found himself starting Game 1 in a National League Division Series for the Mets. In that game, he pitched four and a third innings and got a no decision. The Mets went on to win that game to give them a one nothing lead in the division series against the Dodgers. In the must-win Game 6 of the NLCS against St. Louis Cardinals, Maine pitched five and a third shutout innings and defeated National League Cy Young Award winner Chris Carpenter to force a Game 7. Maine went to the 2006 MLB Japan All-Star Series along with teammates Jose Reyes and David Wright. Now, Maine started his 2000s campaign with a win against the Cardinals, holding St. Louis to one hit and no runs in seven innings. Now, his success against hitters in 2007 continued, and he pitched very well. He posted a 15-10 record with a 3.91 ERA with 180 strikeouts in 191 innings pitch. Maine's off-season conditioning program helped him to become the pitcher who threw deeper into ball games. He started to become one of the more dominant pitchers in the National League. Now, in April, he had a no-hitter through six innings against the Florida Marlins before a single by Miguel Cabrera spoiled the bid. After a solid April in which he went 4-0 with a 1.35 ERA, Maine was named the National League Pitcher of the Month. At the All-Star break, Maine led the Mets with a 2.71 ERA, 93 strikeouts, and was tied with Brad Penny for the most wins in the NL at 10 each. Despite posting such great numbers, he was not selected to the All-Star game, and when asked if he expected to make the game, he said no. So uh, he got kind of robbed in 2007. He should have been an All-Star. 
Now, on July 24, 2007, the bomb the fourth inning against the Pirates, Maine hit a two-run homer to left field and received the curtain call. This was his first home run of his major league career. The Mets won 8-4, and Maine earned his 11th win of the season. Maine earned his Mets-leading 12th victory against the Nationals on July 29th, pitching a complete game shutout in a five-inning, rain-shortened game, giving up only a single hit. As late, of September, as, late as September 18th, his 7.89 strikeouts per nine innings pitched put him in the top 10 among all qualified NL starting pitchers. On September 29, 2007, Maine threw seven and two-thirds innings, scoreless innings against the Marlins, allowing one hit and striking out 14 Marlins, leading the Mets to a 13-0 route. Maine's 14 strikeouts were the most by a Mets starter in eight years. Now, the Mariners' lone hit came with two outs in the eighth inning, an infield hit to the third base bag by Marlins backup catcher Paul Hoover. The no-hit bid was nearly a mirror image of April 28, 1992, when David Cohn threw seven and one-third innings before surrendering an infield hit, or that of Dwight Gooden in 1984 when a similar hit was given up and the third baseman Ray Knight could, pick it up, could not pick it up in time. John Main had been heralded by Tom Seaver as something of a protege. He entered the 2008 season as the Mets' number three starter. Main received the raise by the Mets and earned $450,000. He ended the season with 25 starts, 140 innings, 10 and 8, one loss record, and a 4.180 ERA. Now, the end of Main's 2008 season was marred by injury. On August 4th, Main was put on a DLS with a strained rotator cuff. He did return, making three more starts, but then was put back on the DL. On September 24th, he came again off the DL, but manager Jerry Minwell did not allow him to pitch for fear of future injury. At season then, he went under, underwent surgery in which doctors removed a bone, bone spur from his shoulder. The doctors were amazed at the size of the spur. They said it was the biggest they had ever seen. They were amazed that he was able to pitch in that condition. He began throwing in December and was ready for spring training in 2009. Now, the Mets avoided arbitration, signing Maine to a one-year $2.6 million contract. Maine initially struggled coming off the shoulder surgery, posting a 5.40 ERA to go with a 1-2 and record in four April starts. However, he bounced back in the six starts in May, going 4-1 and with an ERA of 2.75, nearly half of his April ERA. Now, after a poor start in June, he was placed on the 15-day disabled list due to arm fatigue. Maine would stay on the DL with arm fatigue and numerous attacks, setbacks for a long amount of time. He eventually came back in mid-September and was eased back into the rotation, going more than five innings only once. In his last start of the season against the Astros, he went seven innings, letting up one earned run with seven strikeouts. With that encouraging start, he gave the Mets more certainty that he can return to his 07 form in the 2010 season. He finished 2009 with a 7-6 one-loss record, throwing 81.1 innings with an ERA of 4.43. Now, in January, the Mets and Maine agreed to arbitration, signing Maine to a one-year $3.3 million contract. That included an additional $225,000 that could, could have been earned in performance bonuses. Now, he did struggle with his performance, spent additional time on the DL. On May 20th, in his ninth start of the season, he was taken out of the game after pitching to one batter. Maine stated that he was in good health, but Jerry Manuel ignored his request to stay in the game. Pitching coach Dan Worthen said that Maine had a bad habit of not being truthful about his health. 
On July 23rd, Maine had arthroscopic surgery to repair his shoulder and missed the remainder of the 2010 season. Maine became a free agent after the 2010 season and signed with the Colorado Rockies starting the 2011 season in the minor leagues. On February 17, 2011, Maine signed a minor league contract with the Colorado Rockies, including an invitation to spring training. On June 22nd, after pitching 45 innings with the AAA Colorado Spring Sky Sox, recording a 7.43 ERA, 35 strikeouts, and 37 walks, Maine left the team and was reportedly considering retiring from baseball. Now, Maine signed a minor league contract with the Red Sox on January 27, 2012. He also received an invitation in spring training. Maine was released on May 10, 2012. On May 25, 2012, Maine signed with the Yankees to a minor league deal and assigned and who then assigned him to extended spring training. He was assigned to the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre team on June 12th and made his first appearance in regular season gameplay nearly a year that evening. Initially scheduled to start, he instead picked up in the second inning after a spot start by the rehabbing David Robertson. Throwing 65 pitches, 37 for strikes, and three innings of work, he struck out four, walked two, and gave three runs while recording a win for the Yankees. And then on December 24, 2012, he signed the minor league contract with the Marlins, and that contained an invitation to spring training. He made the opening day roster, but was designated for assignment on April 19, 2013. He was subsequently released afterwards. And then on August 25, 2014, uh, the Charlotte 49ers baseball team announced that Maine would join the staff of his alma mater, alma mater as a volunteer assistant, and that basically ended his playing career. Now let's talk about Adrian Gonzalez, a pretty good baseball player in his day. He was a Mexican-American who played first base. He played for the Texas Rangers, San Diego Padres, Boston Red Sox, LA Dodgers, and New York Mets. Now he was born in the United States, but was raised in Tijuana until 1990 when he returned to the States. He played for Mexico in 2006, 9, 13, and 17 in the World Baseball Classic and the 2020 Olympic Games. He was the first overall pick in the 2000 MLB draft by the Florida Marlins, and he was traded to the Rangers and made his MLB debut with them in 2004. He was traded to the Padres after the 2005 season, where he was an all-star selection three times and a two-time Gold Glove Award winner. He was traded to the Red Sox after the 2010 season and was traded to the Dodgers in August 2012. After playing for the Dodgers throughout the 2017 season, he was traded to the Atlanta Braves but was released without playing for them. He then played for the Mets who released him during the 2018 season. Now, like I said, he was born in the United States, born in uh, San Diego, California. He was the youngest of three boys. And his father uh, owned an air conditioning business in Tijuana, and that's why he moved to Tijuana as a youngster. So he grew up with his three brothers the three brothers, I should say, playing baseball in Mexico. And his father was a member of the Mexico national baseball team. They returned to the United States in 1990, and they settled down in Bonita, California. Now, Adrian was drafted by the Florida Marlins out of high school. His brother, Edgar Gonzalez, attended San Diego State and was selected by the Tampa Bay Rays in the 30th round of the 2000 draft. Edgar debuted in the major leagues as a utility man with the San Diego Padres in 2008, joining his brother in 2008 as a teammate. Uh, in 2012, uh, David and Alba Gonzalez were named George and Barbara Bush Little League Parents of the Year. 
In November 2012, Gonzalez was honored as one of the 30 exemplary citizens by the mayor of Tijuana in official ceremony. Now, Gonzalez was projected to be a first-round pick out of Eastlake High School in Chula Vista, California. However, his stock increased with his senior year performance. Check this out. In his senior year, he hit 645 with 13 home runs and 34 runs batted in. Now, in June 2000, Gonzalez became the first infield position player to be drafted first overall since Alex Rodriguez in 1993. So that's how highly regarded Gonzalez was. He was given a $3 million signing bonus by the Florida Marlins. Now, while in the Marlins organization, Gonzalez played with the Gulf Coast Marlins, the Kane County Cougars, Utica Blue Sox, Portland Sea Dogs, Albuquerque Isotopes, and Carolina Mudcats. With single-A Kane County Cougars in his second professional season, Gonzalez really ripped it apart. He hit 312 with 17 home runs and 103 RBIs in 127 games. As a result, he was selected by the Midwest League as the most valuable player and top prospect in the league. He also played in the All-Star Futures game. Now, after a wrist injury, the Marlins felt Gonzalez would be hindered swinging the bat, so they included Gonzalez in a June 2003 trade with the Texas Rangers, along with Ryan Scher and minor leaguer Will Smith to acquire relief pitcher Ugeth Urbina to aid their championship drive. Gonzalez played with the Rangers double-A team, the Fresno Rough Riders, until he made his major league debut against the Seattle Mariners on April 18, 2004. He was hitless in three at-bats. He recorded his first base hit on April 20th against Ramon Ortiz of the Anaheim Angels and his first home run on April 25th off Kevin Jarvis of the Seattle Mariners. He played in 16 games for Texas in 2004 and in 43 games in 2005 with a combined batting average of 229 and 7 homers. Now after the season, Gonzalez was traded to the San Diego Padres along with pitcher Chris Young and outfielder Termel Sledge. In return, the Rangers received Adam Eaton and Okunari Atsuka. Originally seen as the eventual replacement for Ryan Klesko at first base, Gonzalez was given the job when Klesko underwent shoulder surgery. With extended playing time at first base in 2006, Gonzalez continued to improve his hitting and defense. On July 23, 2006, he was named the NL Player of the Week. In his first full season, he led the Padres in batting average 304 and home runs 24. He was the first player in Petco Park history to have more than one multiple home run game. He was named the Padres MVP for 2006. On March 31, 2007, Gonzalez agreed to a $9.5 million four-year deal with a club option for $5.5 million in 2011. In 2007, he led the Padres in home runs again with 30 and had a team-high 100 RBIs. He led all major league first basemen with 161 games and a career-high 46 doubles. In 2008, Gonzalez finished with a 279 average and once again led the Padres with 36 homers and 119 RBIs. He was selected to the 2008 MLB All-Star Game as a reserve. He went 1-4-3 with a single and a sacrifice fly, scoring Miguel Tejada of the Houston Astros. He did win his first gold glove in 2008 at first base. He was a pretty good fielder. He set career highs in games played 162, home runs 36, RBIs 119, scored 103 runs, walked 74 times, had a slugging percentage of 510. What a year. He was named the Padres MVP for the second time. Now, Gonzalez played winter ball in uh, Mexican Pacific League with Bernados 
de Matsalan in 2009 Caribbean uh, series. He led his team past the Dominican Republic's Tigres del Lice with a record-setting three homers on February 4th. Gonzalez hit 23 homers, leading Major League Baseball in that category through May 2009, despite playing his home games at Petco Park, which Padre statisticians describes as extreme pitcher's park. Now, on May 18th, Gonzalez was described as being one of the two most underrated players in the National League, according to a poll of Major League executives and managers conducted by MLB.com. On June 1st, Gonzalez was named the Co-Player of the Week for the second time in his career. During that week, Gonzalez hit four home runs, tallied 10 RBIs, and had a 1,000 slugging percentage. Gonzalez was elected to the 2009 Major League Baseball All-Star Game after voting by fellow players and managers and coaches. He subsequently participated in that year's home run derby where he hit two in the first round. On August 1st, Gonzalez finished 6-for-6 six six with three RBIs as the Padres topped the Brewers, 13-6. Gonzalez's six hits are the most by any Padre in a nine-inning game. Three others have accomplished a feat, but did it in extra innings. Gonzalez hit five singles and a double. He led the major leagues in walks in 2009 with 119 and set a major league record with eight consecutive multi-walk games. He, a record which still stands as of 2020. He also hit four home runs for the first time in his career. He was named the Padres team MVP for 2009, his third time honored. Now, Gonzalez started the 2010 season playing well. On May 24th, he was named the NL Player of the Week for the fourth time in his career. On June 2nd, Gonzalez hit a walk-off grand slam in the extra innings to lead his team to a 5-1 victory over our beloved Metsies. In July, he was elected to participate in his third consecutive All-Star game. Now, during the 2010 season, Gonzalez had 176 hits and 591 at-bats. Good for a 298 batting average, his highest since, three, since hitting 304 in his first season with San Diego in 2006. Again, a good eye at the plate as he had 93 walks and 114 strikeouts. His 93 walks put him in third place in the NL behind only Prince Fielder and Albert Pujols. He finished with 31 homers and 101 RBIs. The third time in his career, he had 100 or more RBIs. Gonzalez played 160 games in the year, tying him with Ricky Weeks for fifth in the NL. He scored 87 runs on the season, compiling 302 total bases, which also tied him with Weeks for sixth in the NL. Gonzalez was named Team MVP for the third consecutive year and the fourth time overall with the Padres. Now, there was a big trade for Gonzalez with the Red Sox, it was a package that included right-hander Casey Kelly, first baseman Anthony Rizzo, Raymond Fuentes, and a player to be named later, which was determined to be Eric Patterson. Now, in 2011, Gonzalez and the Red Sox agreed to a big contract, seven-year contract extension worth $154 million through the 2018 season. On June 19, 2011, Gonzalez got his 1,000th career hit, a triple off Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Giovanni Gallardo. And on July 3rd, Gonzalez was selected to represent the Red Sox at the All-Star Game along with Josh Beckett, Jacoby Ellsbury, David Ortiz, Kevin Euclid, and John Lester. Gonzalez hit a home run in the game and was responsible for the only run for the American League. Additionally, Ortiz selected Gonzalez as one of three sluggers to join him in the home run derby where he finished second to Robbie Cano. Yes, that Robbie Cano. Former Met. 
Gonzalez tied a record for most home runs in the final round of the Home Run Derby at 11, which was then surpassed by home run champion Robinson Cano. Gonzalez was named AL Player of the Month for June 2011, and... That was the best in the majors for that month. After placing second in the 2011 home run derby, Gonzalez faced a home run slump until he had five home runs and 10 at-bats on August 23rd through the 25th. He appeared on the cover of baseball video game MLB 12, the show. On November 21st, the AL MVP ballots came out with Gonzalez in seventh place and his teammate Ellsbury in second, both losing the Detroit ace Justin Verlander. In 2012, Gonzalez appeared in 123 games with the Red Sox, hitting 300 with 15 homers and 86 RBI. Now, on August 25th, 2012, in a huge blockbuster trade, he was traded to the Dodgers along with Josh Beckett, Nick Punto, and Carl Crawford, and $11 million in cash for James Loney, Ivan De Jesus Jr., Alan Webster, and two players to be named later. Now, a lot of people thought this was a big salary dumb trade by the Red Sox, and when you look at it, it kind of was. In his first at-bat, Dodgers that same day hit a three-run home run against the Marlins. He hit 36 games with Dodgers. He hit 297 with three homers and 22 RBIs. Now, in 2013, he appeared in 157 games for Dodgers, hit 293 with 22 homers and 100 RBIs. He was a candidate for the final vote at the Major League All-Star Game, but did not get selected to the game. 2013 NLCS Game 5 against the Cardinals. Gonzalez came up big. He had went 3-4 with two homers. Dodgers would eventually lose that series in six games. Now, in 2014, Gonzalez finished the season with 116 RBIs, the most in all of Major League Baseball. He was the Dodgers nominee for the Hank Aaron Award after hitting 27 homers in 159 games. However, his batting average of 276 was the lowest of his career. He finished up the season by winning the Silver Slugger Awards. And he was the best-hitting first baseman in the National League, and he won several awards for his defense at first base, including the Gold Glove Award, Fielding Bible Award, and Wilson Defensive Player of the Year. Now, Gonzalez opened the 2015 season with five home runs in the first three games of the season, including three on April 8th against Andrew Kashner. He was the first MLB player to hit five home runs in the first three games of the season. By homering in his fifth consecutive game dating back to the end of 2014, he tied the team record, which he shares with Roy Campanella, Sean Green, Matt Kemp, and Jock Peterson. He won the Player of the Week Award honors for that performance. He was also named with the National League Player of the Month Award, in uh, 2015, when he hit 383 with eight homers and 19 RBIs in the month. He recorded his 1,000th RBI when he hit a two-run homer off Julio Tehran of the Atlanta Braves on May 26. He was selected to the All-Star Game, and he was the first Dodger first baseman selected since Nomar Garcia Para in 2006. Yes, Nomar Garcia Para did play first base. He finished the 2015 season by hitting 275 in 156 games with 28 home runs and 90 RBIs. That was the lowest RBI total he had since 2006. Now, in 2016, Gonzalez played for the Mexico national baseball team, the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers, during spring training in 2016. And, keep it in the family, the team was managed by his brother Edgar. On June 22, 2016, Gonzalez made a highlight real catch after a foul ball that was hit in 
by Chase Utley and deflected off of Chase Utley's glove and off Gonzalez's way. On August 7, 2016, he had his 300th career homer against the Red Sox. On the season, he batted uh, 285 with 18 homers, 90 RBIs, and that was the fewest home runs he had hit in the season since 2012. Now, on May 5, 2017, Gonzalez was placed on the 10-day disabled list due to right elbow soreness. It was the first time in his MLB career that Gonzalez was put on the DL. Gonzalez recorded his 2000th career hit with a double off Johnny Barbato of the Pittsburgh Pirates on August 22nd. Gonzalez dealt with lingering back issues during the 2017 season, which caused him to spend half the season on the DL, and as a result, he lost playing time to rookie Cody Bellinger at first. For the 2017 season, Gonzalez played only in 71 games by the 242-287-355 slash line with 30 ribbies. He was shut down for the season in September and did not appear on the Dodgers playoff roster. In his final at bat with the Dodgers, Gonzalez did hit a home run against the Padres, giving him the rare distinction of having homered in both his first and last at bats with the team. On December 6, 16, 2017, the Dodgers traded Gonzalez, Charlie Culberson, Scott Casimir, and Brandon McCarthy and cash considerations to the Atlanta Braves for Matt Kemp. Immediately following the trade, the Braves designated Gonzalez for an assignment, then released him two days later. Gonzalez waived his no-trade clause to facilitate trade, which he did because he wanted to test free agency. And on January 18, 2018, he signed a one-year contract with the Mets. So after a very prestigious career, he finally ended up with the Mets. Unfortunately, uh, on June 10, 2018, the Mets granted Gonzalez his unconditional release. He just didn't have it anymore. In 54 games with the Mets, he batted 237, 299, 373. He had just three hits in his final 27 at-bats with the team. Now, he announced his return to baseball on March 30, 2021 and signed with Mariachis de Guadalajara of the Mexican League. He announced that he would retire from professional baseball following the inclusion in the Mexican League season. 43 games for Guadalajara. Gonzalez by a 340-412-531 with six homers and 41 RBIs. He officially announced his retirement from professional baseball on February 5th, 2022. Now him and his wife Betsy reside in the San Diego community with Jawa. They have two children. Uh, the couple created the Adrian and Betsy Gonzalez Foundation, which is focused on empowering underprivileged youth in areas of athletics, education, and health. As one of his charitable endeavors, Gonzalez paid for the refurbishing of the baseball field in the Tijuana Sports Complex, where he played as a youth. He is a Christian and graved his bats with PS 27 1 for verse 1 from Psalm 27. He's spoken about his faith, saying, I don't want to be remembered in baseball and remember as a good witness for Christ. I'm just trying to use this platform to bring people to Christ. And there you have it. What a career for Adrian Gonzalez. And finally, let's touch on the career of Sean Gilmore, shall we? Uh, he played for the Mets, the Orioles, and the Tampa Bay Rays. He was the 28th overall selection in 2001 MLB draft by the Atlanta Braves. And prior to beginning his professional career, he attended Florida State University and he was an All-American pitcher for the Seminoles baseball team. He was born in Moorpark, California to Paul J., a chiropractor, and Joanna Gilmartin. He attended Crespi Car Carmelite High School in Encino, California. 
And after graduating from high school, the San Diego Padres selected Gilmore in the 31st round of the 2008 MLB draft. He opted not to sign with San Diego, instead attending college. Gilmore enrolled at Florida State University in 2019, receiving a scholarship to play college baseball for the Florida State Seminoles baseball team. As a junior in 2011, he was named an All-American by Baseball America. Now, he was drafted, like I said, by the Braves in the 28th, with the 28th overall selection. He signed with the Braves, receiving a $1.134 million signing bonus. The Atlanta Farm System, Gil Martin, played with the Gulf Coast Braves, Rome Braves, Mississippi Braves, and Gwinnett Braves. Prior to the 2012 season, Gil Martin was ranked as the Braves' fifth-best prospect by Baseball America. Gil Martin was invited to spring training in 2013, but did not make the team. He played for the Gwinnett Braves at the AAA uh, International League, though his performance was limited by injuries. Now, after the 2013 season, the Braves traded Gil Martin to Minnesota for Ryan Domet on December 18, 2013. He pitched for the New Britain Rockcats and Rochester Red Wings in 2014. Gil Martin with the Rockcats finished with 7-3, Record 3.12 ERA in 12 games and 72 innings pitch with 74 strikeouts and a whip of 1.278 while giving up 76 hits, 30 runs, 25 of them earned 2 home runs and 16 walks. With the Red Wings, he finished 2-4 with a 4.28 ERA in 14 games and 73.2 innings, pitched with 59 strikeouts with a whip of 1.317 while giving up 69 hits, 39 runs, 35 of them earned 7 home runs and 28 walks. Now, during the 2004 winter meetings, the Mets selected Gil Martin from the Twins in the Rule 5 draft on December 11th. So there you go. That's how he became a Met. Gil Martin competed to make the Mets opening day 25-man roster as a leaf pitcher and got a spot in the bullpen. He made his Major League debut on April 10th against the Braves in a 5-3 loss, getting Nick Markakis to ground out and striking out Freddie Freeman to end the seventh inning. On June 14th, Gil Martin got his first win against the Braves, holding Atlanta scoreless through both the fifth and sixth innings. He faced seven batters, batters walking one and striking out three, in a 10-8 Mets victory. On July 19th, he got his first major league hit, a bloop single into left field off Carlos Martinez, in his first major league at bat. In the 16th inning against the Cardinals, Gil Martin pitched three scoreless innings in the 14th, 15th, and 16th innings, giving up one hit, two walks, and getting four strikeouts off Fisher, while facing 12 batters. After the Mets clinched the National League East division title, Gil Martin made his first Major League start on October 1st against the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park, throwing five innings. He struck out three batters, allowed two runs and three hits, throwing 44-70 pitches for strikes. He retired 11 in the first 12 batters he faced in a game that lasted just two hours and 23 minutes. Ah, I love those games, don't you? The two runs he allowed came on Darren Ruff's two-run home run in the fourth inning. However, the Mets lost the game by a score of 3-0. When the Mets made the playoffs, Gil Martin, unfortunately, was not on the roster for the division series, but was added to the roster for the championship series, replacing Eric Goodell. Gil Martin did not appear in the championship series. He appeared in Game 2 of the World Series in the top of the eighth inning, retiring two batters he faced. He finished the 2015 regular season with a record of 3-2, and two, and a 2.67 ERA in 50 games, one start, and 57 and one-third innings pitched, with 54 strikeouts and a whip of 1.186, while giving up 50 hits, 17 runs, two home runs, and 19 walks. He was cut from the roster heading into the 2016. 
Gil Martin was recalled to the Mets on May 12th, replacing the injured Wilmer Flores on the roster. With the AAA 51s, Gil Martin had pitched 32 and two-third innings, sporting a 4-1 record with a 2.48 ERA and a 1.13 whip. Days later, Gil Martin was sent back down to the 51s to make room for Matt Reynolds on the roster. Gil Martin had pitched five scoreless innings in two games prior to his brief call-up, giving up two hits and striking out five batters. It all ended on with the Mets on June 11, 2017, when the Mets designated Gil Martin for assignment. On June 11, 2017, Gil Martin was claimed off waivers by the Cardinals. He was outrighted to AAA on September 1, 2017, and he was released on 2018, July 2, 2018. But then on July 12, 2018, Gil Martin signed a minor league contract deal with the Orioles. He was called up to the majors on August 11, 2018, and he did record a 3.0 ERA in 12 games for the Orioles in 2018. Unfortunately, he was outrighted off the roster following the season and elected free agency on November 1st. The following day, he re-signed with the Orioles on a minor league contract. After starting the 2019-70 season in the minor leagues for the Orioles, Gil Martin had his contract selected to the major leagues on June 17, 2019. He was designated for assignment on June 25th following the acquisition of Tyler Scott, and he elected free agency on October 1st, 2019. Now, on February 8, 2020, he signed a minor league deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. On August 7, 2020, Gil Martin was selected to the active roster. He was designated for assignment on August 9th and outrighted two days later. On August 22nd, Gil Martin was added back to the 40-man roster. Only a day after being re-added to the roster, Gil Martin was again designated for assignment by the Rays. December 18, 2020, Gil Martin had his contract selected by the Rays for a third time. On September 29th, Gil Martin was designated for assignment, and uh, he appeared in two games, compiling an 0-0 record with an 8.31 ERA and five strikeouts and 4.1 innings pitch. He became a free agent on November 2nd, 2020. Now. Gil Martin signed with the Long Island Ducks on April 27, 2021, but by June 29, 2021, his contract was purchased by the Twins with a minor league contract for Double A Wichita win surge. At 31, he is the oldest player in Double A Central Baseball. Now, he is married to former White House Press Secretary Kayla McKinney. How many people knew that? They began dating in 2015 and married on November 18, 2017. The couple has one daughter, Blake Avery Gilmorton. Gilmorton does have a brother, Michael, and he was drafted by the Oakland A's from Wolford College as an infielder in the 27th round of the 2009 MLB draft. His cousin, Chad, previously worked in the White House of the press secretary. Now, before we end up the podcast, let's tell you what the trivia question and Jeopardy answers were today. Once again, the trivia question was, who took over Casey Stengel in 1965 when he broke his hip and could no longer manage? Well, the correct answer is Wes Westrom. Congrats to John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct answer. And the two clues for Jeopardy yesterday or today, whatever day you want to call it, were traded by the Montreal Expos to New York Mets in exchange for Ron Soboda and Rich Hacker on March 31st, 1971. 
He was involved in a brutal collision in the outfield with left fielder George Theodore, which resulted in a dislocated hip for Theodore. The correct answer is, who is Don Hahn? Congrats to Kareem Haywood on being the first to submit the correct answer. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Another great podcast. Uh, gave you some good in-depth analysis of Max. And we went over the whole careers of Adrian Gonzalez, John Main, and Sean Gilmore. Bet you didn't see that coming. And that'll wrap it up for today. And we have a doubleheader day. I think it looks like they're going to get it in. So we'll have a lot of Met baseball to talk about. So check in tomorrow. It's going to be a fun podcast as always. Enjoy Mother's Day. Do what you need to do for your mom, the best person in the world, or your wife, or whoever it may be who's a mother today. They deserve it all. So once again, thanks again for listening. Your patronage means the mo- a lot to me. And check out the Facebook group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life, and subscribe to this podcast. I love every one of you. Take care, and let's go Mets. Rod Keneal and Casey, the Amazons were the brand new kids in town. From the polo grounds to Shea, they played the game their way. By hook and by crook, they rode a new boat. They were around, I'm talking baseball. Roger Craig and Jerry, amazing baseball. Elio, thrown very, choo-choo, Thomas, Charlie, Neal, and West. Al Jackson, he always did his best. Talking baseball, baseball and the Mets. As they got a little older, they played a little bolder, and Hodges took the reins in 68. A miracle was due, Leon and Cruz came through. They made a believer of Mr. O. Weaver in four games straight. I'm talking baseball. Now Tommy was terrific, amazing baseball. Glenn Lennon was prolific, but in champion age stood the test. And the glider and the crane, they were the vets. I'm talking baseball, baseball and the Mets. They play amazing baseball in the fall. Jay and Benny are the rage, and the monsters out of the cage. The crowd is berserk for Johnny and Turk, so let's play ball. We're talking baseball. Mike Hampton, Reed, and Lighter, amazing baseball. Timo's the exciter, with Armando Zeal and Robin, they're all set. And Fonzie's just about as good as it gets. We're talking baseball, baseball and the Mets. Amazing baseball, baseball and the Mets.
Seventh of shame, we'll have a great day.